This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. All right, well, there's been a lot of focus uh, on uh, the big social media companies these days, uh, Facebook and Twitter in particular, I suppose Google by extension as well. Uh, Concerns about how these companies are maybe being manipulated to disseminate information or even disseminate false information for perhaps nefarious purposes. Uh, The fact that uh, so many fake accounts seem to exist uh, and that maybe these companies aren't inclined to do anything about it since uh, it's, it's good for their bottom line. But there's been increased scrutiny from lawmakers in the U.S. in particular and elsewhere. Uh, and a vow from these companies that they're going to try to address these problems. But is that enough? And do we need to look at uh, further regulation of these companies, given the uh, influence they currently wield? Uh, someone who's written a lot about this, very pleased to welcome the program, Natasha Tusikov, who's an assistant professor in the criminology department, uh, that's uh, part of the uh, Department of Social Sciences at uh, York University. She's written uh, extensively about this issue, uh, including uh, a recent book she wrote uh, called Choke Points, Global Private Regulation on the Internet. Uh, Professor Tusikoff, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks. Glad to be here. Uh, first of all, we talk about regulation because obviously these these sites, these businesses, I mean, they need to follow the laws of countries like Canada and the U.S., etc. But in, in terms of where there are shortfalls, where do we begin? It's, it's a big area. Certainly the latest uh, U.S. election, the 2016 presidential election, gives us a, a big area where to begin. We saw uh, there's been an increasing number of complaints against Facebook, Twitter, and Google for deliberately publishing content that they know is false and misleading. And this is everything from the so-called fake news to all kinds of um, accounts, fake accounts, uh, bot accounts that are linked to Russian groups. Right, and we've seen similar concerns raised uh, about Twitter as well, haven't we? Absolutely, absolutely, yes. So when we talk about social media, are we primarily talking about these two companies? Do other companies like, like Google fit into the conversation? Absolutely, because Google is the owner of YouTube, and just like we see uh, fake fake Facebook accounts or bought Twitter accounts, so uh, fake Twitter accounts, we also see uh, videos on YouTube that are deliberately false. They're designed to um, play to people's worst fears, our worst instincts, and they're deliberately designed to mislead us in many cases. Well, and do do they have a a financial incentive to, to allow that? Absolutely. And this is what goes to the heart of this problem. The more accounts that Facebook or Twitter have, the more views and clicks they get, the more advertising revenue they get. And we really have to remember that Google and Facebook are primarily digital advertising platforms. That's where they get the majority of their money. And Facebook announced just as it was being grilled by the U.S. Senate Intelligence Committee that for one quarter of the year, it got $4.7 billion in advertising revenue. So they stand to gain considerably by every time we like or click or share certain content. Right. So 
in terms then of, of fake accounts that exist, why should uh, we be concerned about that necessarily? We should be concerned for a variety of reasons. Uh, one reason is that uh, this information is designed to manipulate people. And if we're talking about elections, this goes to the heart of our electoral system and the integrity of our elections. We may be concerned somewhat if these concerns are domestic, but we should be especially concerned if foreign groups linked to countries outside of Canada or outside of the United States are trying to manipulate our elections. And secondly, the type of material that goes viral the most, as we saw with the U.S election is often very bigoted, very uh, xenophobic, misogynist, hateful content. And we saw one, uh, I guess, story, uh, false account that went viral was that Hillary Clinton was sexually abusing children in a pizzeria. Of course, completely false, but a number of people were taken in by this, sharing this. It, uh, as a story, this went viral online, and of course, it was completely false. So that's the type, the worst end of the content that we're talking about. Very vile, hateful stuff. Right, but I mean, nonsense on the internet is is not new, and there are all kinds of conspiratorial websites that, that push this uh, this kind of stuff out on a regular basis. I mean, we we hope we trust people to have some some critical thinking skills, some critical analysis when they're using the internet. But what's what's different about social media then? Well, certainly one of the differences, and, and you're absolutely right, we've had conspiracy theories for a long time, and in many cases, uh, this can be you know a, a critical reaction of of people to a, a traditional story or tradition narrative, and you can say that's good, critical thinking skills. What we have here is billion-dollar companies that control entire ecosystems, like the digital advertising ecosystem, making billions of dollars off of this. And so this is what we really have to look at. If a lot of people are getting their news through Facebook and Google, and more and more people are, and these companies are, you know, behemoths, big monolithic companies that control digital advertising revenue, we should really be concerned about how they're directing people towards certain types of content. And this goes to the health of our, our news ecosystem, and it goes to the health of our, our democracy. Well, of course, these uh, companies, Facebook, Twitter, Google, uh, as, as you noted recently, they have all committed to voluntarily implementing measures to address the spread of misinformation and targeting accounts that troll other users with often bigoted racist content. So what, what do we make of the steps that they've discussed or the steps that they've taken thus far? Is it enough? Well, I'd have to say, look how long it took them to even admit there was a problem. Uh, complaints about this came after, just after the U.S. election. Uh, the, Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook CEO, at first denounced these claims, these critiques, as crazy. He since apologized and said Facebook will take steps. So these companies have only been prodded into action really through intense media and political pressure. And it was only really when the U.S. Senate Intelligence Committee hauled them both before them on uh, on Capitol Hill in the United States that they actually started to move on this issue. So it's really intense political pressure that's make them take these steps. The steps that they've proposed are good, and I think what we have to be critical about is, are they enough? If their entire business models are reliant on advertising and are reliant on clicks and views, however they get them, I think we have to be, I think we have to question whether they will truly implement rules that will hurt their bottom line. But is part of it based on trust? Do, do they need some degree of trust from from users? If we start to lose faith in in Facebook or Twitter, is is that a threat to their bottom line? Absolutely. These companies don't want to be known as you know troll farms. They don't want to be known as the site associated with child sexual abuse or with racist content. So in some ways, they are balancing a fine uh, a fine line, and and one can empathize with their their 
uh, emphasis on freedom of expression on one hand, but trying to curtail the most vile, racist, uh, offensive, especially violent content on the other. So they are walking a fine line, and I think we can all appreciate that. But the point is, they are making money off of this, and any voluntary measures they take might not be enough. Well, and certainly we want freedom of expression to, to thrive on the Internet, and, and social media is, is uh, one venue for that. So uh, how do we balance uh, a, a regulatory approach that addresses these problems without intruding too much on, on the essence of these sites? And this is, this is the, the million-dollar question. It's a very, very difficult balance. Uh, one problem is that these companies are uh, coming down strongly on the side of absolute freedom of speech. We know that freedom of speech always has certain limitations. There's limitations in many countries, including Canada, for hate crime. So freedom of speech does have some important limitations. We have to decide as a society what types of limitations we think are appropriate. Part of the problem with this debate is we have the CEOs of some very big American companies deciding that they will decide for everyone else what those appropriate limitations will be. Well, and is it even possible for Canada to approach it one way, for the U.S. to approach it uh, a different way, for Europe to approach it a different way? I mean, can we have this, this kind of patchwork? Absolutely, we can, and we do already. There are certain types of advertisements that aren't allowed in Canada. The United States has advertisements for pharmaceuticals, for example, on TV. We don't in Canada. So there, these companies already do have slightly different regulatory frameworks for different countries. It's just that, obviously, they would prefer not to. They would have, prefer to have a, a much more streamlined, standardized regulatory approach. But if we, as citizens in Canada, decide that, no, there's certain types of content that we want more strongly regulated or that we want the government here to take a more active role in regulation, we can absolutely demand that, and we can uh, require these companies to obey the laws of Canada. Right, and we've certainly seen, as you've noted, uh, how these companies are attracting more attention from from governments, but do you think there's an appetite to move forward on, on any kind of new regulations? Well, certainly since I've started uh, studying these companies in 2011, this is the uh, a period of intense interest and intense criticism in these countries that I don't think we've seen really since the Edward Snowden leaks came out. So this is an ideal time to really capitalize upon uh, public anxiety and public uh, anger over this, to take a hard look and see how should we regulate these companies and do we need government involvement in that regulation. Well, some big questions going forward. Uh, we'll leave it there for now. Natasha, again, that book is called Choke Points, Global Private Regulation on the Internet. And uh, you wrote a piece uh, that was up at theconversation.com last week about all of this. People can find that there. Uh, appreciate the insights, and uh, thanks so much for joining us here today. Thank you very much. Bye. All right. There you go. That's uh, Natasha Tiskoff at uh, York University. Our number here, 403-974-8255. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.